0: Welcome to the Corporate Minister Podcast, a safe space dedicated to the hearts and minds of African-American men. Today's work environment presents some unique challenges for black men, and they can sometimes feel overstressed, overburdened, and at the same time undervalued and underappreciated. The Corporate Minister Podcast is about speaking a word of support, encouragement, and healing to the men in these spaces, as well as to those who love and support them. We also seek to provide a means for others to understand these men, their hopes, dreams, and challenges, in order to bridge the gaps and create a dialogue. Our guiding principles in these discussions are the Word of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Our bedrock scripture, and the one that underpins all of our work here, can be found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 29, where it is written, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. With that, we welcome you to the Corporate Minister Podcast, presented by your host, the Reverend Dwayne Dixon.
1: Welcome to the Corporate Minister Podcast. My name is Dwayne Dixon, and I serve on the ministerial staff at Progressive Baptist Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm also a technology executive and I've been in corporate America for more than 25 years. My calling is to minister to the needs of men who are sometimes forgotten, educated men of color. The world sees job titles, the degrees, the outer trappings of success, and often draws the conclusion that these men don't need ministry. My experience has taught me that nothing could be further from the truth. My objective here is to bring a word from the Lord that will serve as a beacon of hope, solace, and encouragement. Every few weeks, we address one particular topic, stress, fear, pressure, male bonding, failure, and success, and we see what the Word of God has to say about it. From there, we bring in a guest speaker and explore the topic in a little bit more detail, and with a little luck, you hear something that blesses you. About that, I want to hear from you. Please drop us a line at gmail.com. Again, that's thecorporateminister at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, your feedback, and your ideas. I want to make this a space that's comfortable and relevant. And on that note, let's get started. Today's topic is avoiding the home run syndrome and the paralysis of fear. Our scripture comes from 2 Timothy 1 and 7, And I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Bible. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. That's a powerful scripture and it connects directly to our topic. Let's dive in. One of the things that most of our listeners have in common is that we're high achievers. We studied hard in high school so we could get good grades and get into college. We studied hard in college so we could get good grades and get a good job. We applied ourselves in our jobs so we could advance. A lot of us hustled and got into graduate of professional school so we could advance even further. We set the bar high and accepted no less than our best. And that's the way we live our lives, especially at work. So many of you have tremendous responsibilities and quite often you're the first and or only Person of color at your level. It can be a lonely, stressful, and pressure filled existence, and it's compounded by the fact that, as the first and or only, you have the pressure of all the other Black folks working at your company or who may ever work at the company on your shoulders. A recent study in Fortune magazine showed that only 3.2% of executives and senior manager level employees are Black. And only four Fortune 500 CEOs are black. So you're virtually all alone and you can't mess up. It'll reflect poorly on you and everyone you represent. If you mess up, that'll mess it up for everybody. So you carry that weight and you do your best to be perfect. Not a hair out of place, not a missed comma, a late meeting or a split infinitive. You plan everything. You obsess over every detail. And if you're anything like me, you research everything to within an inch of his life. In short, you become a perfectionist. You can't fail because if you do, something will go wrong. You can't fail because it will reflect poorly on everybody else. You can't fail because there will be dire consequences. Their fear of failure is a monster. And because of that fear, we can decide that every time we come up to bat, we have to hit a home run. And that's the home run syndrome. The perceived need to be perfect every time. And let me tell you about that fear-driven perfectionism. It can paralyze. As a matter of fact, there's a phenomenon called perfection paralysis, and it's defined this way. A mental state caused by stress and anxiety toward the need to be perfect. When we're so convinced that we have to create something perfect, we often freeze completely, unable to even start. This is a defense mechanism due to the fear of failing or not producing something perfect or not being entirely perfect. This often leads to avoiding opportunities to succeed because of the fear of not performing at your very best. That's a bad place to be in, and certainly not one conducive to doing your best work. Well, how do we break out of that? It starts with the realization that you are human, not perfect. And the next part of that realization comes from our text. So let's kind of get into that. The book of 2 Timothy was written by Paul, and regular listeners to the corporate minister know Paul's story. Quick review. His name was originally Saul. He was a relentless persecutor of Christians, but on the road to Damascus, he was blinded and subsequently converted to Christianity. After that experience, his name became Paul, and he ultimately became one of the most prolific missionaries of Christianity. He made multiple missionary journeys, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and setting up churches as he went. As he would move on, he would write letters to the churches in those various places, and those letters became what we've come to know as the epistles or letters of Paul. Sometimes he would write letters to specific men, pastors who were leading the churches in the places he visited. He wrote two letters in particular to a young minister named Timothy, and our text comes from the second one that he wrote. Paul is actually writing this letter from prison in Rome, and this is his last letter before he was to be executed. Now, Timothy was leading the church in a place called Ephesus. That's located in modern-day Turkey, and he was experiencing a great deal of opposition to his leadership. Believers and non-believers alike were pushing back on him and his teachings. Like many of us in corporate America, Timothy was virtually all alone, and this is where we find our text. For God has not given us a a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. A key point here is that Paul was very fond of Timothy. He considered him almost as a son. In this letter, he's sending Timothy encouragement, building him up, telling him not to be afraid, telling him not to be timid, telling him to be bold with a spirit of power. Telling him to show love, telling him to show self discipline. As a matter of fact, there's something interesting to be found in the verse just before this one, verse six, where it says, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. In other words, Paul is reminding Timothy that God bestowed upon him the gift to be in that place, the gift to lead, the gift to have power and not fear well, what about us? We need to recognize a few things. Like Timothy, God has placed in us and placed us in our spaces and enabled us with the gifts to thrive and succeed. And if we have God's gifts, we don't need to be fearful. If we have a spirit of power, we don't need to be perfect. And if we don't need to be perfect, we don't need to be paralyzed. And with that, I'd like to introduce today's guest. Dr. Frank A. Thomas is a theologian, author, teacher, coach, and most importantly, he is a preacher's preacher. Let me tell you more about him. Dr. Frank Thomas currently serves as director of the PhD program in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric at Christian Theological Seminary. Dr. Thomas has taught preaching to doctoral and master's level students at McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago, Memphis Theological Seminary in Memphis, and United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Dr. Thomas served as the senior pastor at New Faith Baptist Church of Madison, Illinois, my mother's church, and Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church of Memphis, Tennessee for a total of 31 years. He holds a PhD in Communications from the University of Memphis, a Doctor of Divinity from Christian Theological Seminary, a Doctor of Ministry from Chicago Theological Seminary, a Doctor of Ministry from United Theological Seminary, a Master of Divinity from Chicago Theological Seminary, and a Master of Arts in African American, Caribbean, African Caribbean Studies from Northeastern Illinois University. It is my pleasure to introduce to you the Reverend Dr. Frank A. Thomas. How are you doing, doctor?
2: I'm good, Dwayne. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, a good day to share in your ministry and to hear and listen about perfectionism. I know some of what you speak, and uh, I look forward to just the conversation that we're getting ready to have.
1: That is wonderful. Now, you keep really, really busy. I mean, between the program at CTS, you're writing, you're speaking, you're coaching. Can you tell our audience more about what you're up to these days?
2: I am um, working my, my, my project. So I believe that um, we have three major, I won't say careers, but phases of our our careers. I did a piece in the corporate world. In my younger years, uh, for eight years, I then did a pastoring stint for about 31 years, and now I'm a professor. So I think that I'm doing the same thing, helping people through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. I, I discovered my call while I was in my first eight years in the workforce out of college, went back to seminary. So what I'm doing now is living out this vision that I think that African, that American Christianity in particular is in need of revival. And I think the beauty and the genius, the power, the depth, the imagination of African-American preaching can help bring a revival in the American Christian church. So I'm working on that teaching students, preaching, teaching them to teach preaching and just really working with anybody that wants to improve their preaching uh, to improve because that's one of the roads that we uh, take to a preaching Renaissance. Preaching has to get better to meet the needs of people, of the culture. So that's kind of the project that I'm working on right now.
1: That is outstanding and that's really, really good to hear. Now, you are no stranger to the concept of of, of avoiding the home run syndrome. Um, How does Mm. that matter to you? How has that shown up in your life?
2: I, you know, probably I grapple with this in my preaching, you know, as a pastor, particularly in African-American church, we highly prize preaching. And so you evaluate it every Sunday virtually by the congregation on the sermon you preach. And I had an experience once where um, a, a lady came to me at the end of the service. You know, people say all oh, kind of crazy things you at the back of the church. Some good, <laughs> some crazy. <laughs> And she said, I invited my friend to come to church this week to hear you and you weren't even good. That's what she said to me. (laughs) So I started reflecting that I can't hit a home run every Sunday. No preacher can hit a home run every Sunday. And so what I learned is that people judge you by your batting average.
1: Mm.
2: What I mean by that is that when I left my first church, I pastored there 18 years. Your mom, New Faith Baptist Church in Madison, Illinois. And one of the people said to me, I never heard a bad sermon. They didn't say they were all home runs. Mm -hmm. They said, I never heard a bad sermon, which means my lowest sermon had a quality that they still could regard as good. Mm-hmm. So I learned to have a batting average, a consistent level of highly prepared, highly preyed upon. I mean, P A R Y E D. Then mm-hmm. I put it on. Um, and to develop a level of consistency to take myself out of the home run because the members really judge you by your batting average. They don't judge you, as you know in baseball. Anybody that hits 300, that means seven times they don't get on base. If they get on base three times, they're considered a marvelous hitter, a 300 hitter. And so I think that my members judge me by my batting average, not the home runs that I hit or tried to hit on a regular basis. I might hit in, in let's say, 40 sermons in a year, I might hit six or seven home runs. Mm-hmm. But on Sunday by Sunday, I brought such a consistency of quality to the pulpit that people could still be fed spiritually and then left it up to God to have these unusual home runs. So I think it has to do with consistency and what's your worst sermon or what's your worst day of management. And I think if you're consistent and you you are, are, are um, highly productive, not home runs. So I strive for a, a My worst sermon, don't look below this. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I think that takes you, you know, and I'll say one more thing, too. I had an opportunity for a fabulous preaching engagement at um, something called the Hampton Ministers Conference, which is kind of like the Super Bowl of black preaching in the country. So you get an invitation to Hampton to preach. You know, it says something that you are regarded as one of the premier practitioners in the country. So I received the invitation in 2010 to do, to be the morning preacher. I mean, I preach Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning. And it spreads across the country and it ends up being a lot of pressure because if you crash and burn, the whole country knows about it. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, it goes out on Facebook, you know, people, you're talking, you know, seven, 8,000 preachers at this thing, right? Mm -hmm. So the way that, I calmed myself down was I preached on Sunday at my home church and I said, on Tuesday when I get up at Hampton, I wanna be a better preacher than I was on Sunday. On Wednesday, I wanna be a better preacher than I was on Tuesday. On Thursday morning, I wanna be a better preacher than I was on Wednesday. And then Sunday, I wanna be a better preacher. In other words, continuous improvement. My job is to get better. Not be perfect, but to work on, on my craft, to work on my habits, you know, my protocols with a level of consistency that I get better and I get better. And you know, as you know, with preaching, you never really ever get there. I no, mean, you there, don't. And there, there never is a perfect sermon. I mean, you you just grow. So I think that we have to lifelong learning, a continual process of improvement to to. To maximize, uh, let me do it the way that 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 Jay Z says it: to add a level of discipline to whatever talent that you have. To maximize one's gifts, that that's it ain't perfect. It's to maximize. So I have downright serious discipline. I pray. I get up. You know, you did a lot of research to prepare the opening you know, you you, you prepare, it's discipline, it's discipline, it's discipline. And then God gives various people various talents or gifts. And so to take, add hard, discipline to my talents, to be the best preacher that I can be on this Sunday or in this season, rather than perfectionism is what I try to practice.
1: And that's all right. Now, what's interesting, I will tell the audience, um, you know, Dr. Thomas can talk all that stuff about, um, you know, well, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, just get completely jammed up about the Hampton Preachers conference. But I saw that sermon when you threw that iPad. Okay, (laughs) 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 And I can tell the audience, by the way, um, Dr. Frank Thomas preaching at the Hampton Preachers conference is available on YouTube um, it's worth the time looking up. Um, you will be blessed, um, by that particular video.
2: Um, can, I, can I tell you what I told my friends? I, I tell, I told my friends, I say, when you, when you throw your iPad under the inspiration of the Holy spirit, it don't break. Ah! If, you, if you clown in and act a fool, it breaks. So ah. my, mine didn't break. So
1: <laughs> Praise God. Preacher. Listen, these are unsettling times. Um, How does this message, how does this particular message in in your thoughts, how does this speak to such a time as this?
2: I think that I call it moral imagination Mm. that. To be presented with the crises that we're being presented with, some of them are, are time worn and time tested, such as voter suppression um police violence. Others like the pandemic. We've never experienced that. Only a hundred one time in a hundred years. That's right. And you can't come up with cute answers or cute promises. It's like um I had a friend who passed, name is Dr. Charles Edward Booth, and he used to say, I'm gonna keep preaching till preaching come back in style. <laughs> And what he meant was, you know, we had a, a, a go-go period in particularly in the early 2000s where everything, people were preaching all of this stuff, you know, just name it and claim it. Um, you know, get your miracle, get your blessing, get your, you know, your breakthrough. And then you can't preach that when the economy is about to shut down, when Lehman Brothers closed up and it locked up the credit system. And there was almost uh, bread lines in America. If you don't get the credit system unlocked, everybody works across these major financial industries based upon the confidence that you're gonna be paid if you put your neck out there, if you extend, you know, so it's carefully crafted. And when there's doubt, if Lehman could close, everybody can close. Now, how are you gonna preach, get your miracle, get your breakthrough? People losing jobs. How are you going to preach, get your miracle, get your breakthrough when a pandemic hits? How are you going to preach, you know, cute stuff, shallow stuff, simple stuff? People need a word.
1: People need a word.
2: So can I give you my analogy for that? Sure. I say, I tell my students, can you preach that at your mother's funeral? Mm. So you, you can't preach your haters are your elevators at your mother's funeral. That's right. You need a word. You need a word. And I think that we're in a time where people are hungry for the real word of God, not the cute, not the shallow. People are living in deep waters. And I think it takes imagination. I think it takes work. I think it takes prayer. I think it takes reading the text. I think it takes being honest. Just, um
1: just being honest. Mm. Well, here's my question for you. You, you, you spent eight years in corporate America and so many of our listeners are living in these corporate spaces as, as if we go back to our scripture for God has not given us a spirit of fear and fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. How do you think that speaks to these brothers in these corporate spaces, trying to, to take care of their business out there?
2: I think that I, I, what I have been most deeply afraid of is to be honest with myself. And while I have fear of police violence, I have fear of being discriminated against. I have all those fears. The deepest fear is I have to confront myself with honesty. Mm-hmm and ask some very hard questions. Is all this really worth it? Mm. Um, is there a way that I can exist in this corporate world and be my true self? Mm. Can I tell the truth or do I have to sacrifice the truth? There's always an element of this in a corporation. You know, Some of the reason that they pay you well is to go along with the party line. And if you challenge racism or you challenge discrimination, um, you easily can find yourself demoted, relegated to irrelevance, if not dismissed, because you're not a team player. But some of this stuff is downright discriminatory and harmful to people. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all get presented a choice Are we going to sacrifice our principles to receive a check, to have an office, to live a lifestyle? And while I'm not an extremist and I realize that there are some compromises that have to be made, there are also some other compromises that cost us deeply. Mm. Our self-respect, our self-esteem, Um, Sometimes I say that agitation in our spirit is a gift from God. Mm. That sometimes it's time to do something different, either to behave different or speak different. Or, you know, sometimes it's a signal to it's time to start our own. I mean, you know, the, the folks I'm talking to, I'm sure they've got great gifts. Great talents could open up their own thing if they wanted to. Um, Sometimes the agitation is in your spirit. And then when you confront the fear of going out on your own. So I don't think that God gave us a spirit of fear. I don't think that God gave us um, a spirit that has to swallow our pride and our self-esteem. A spirit that um, puts a check above sleeping at night. You know, I used to say this about, try to say this in terms of, you know, you can have all, I say this in a sermon, you can have all the square footage you want. You know, sometimes it's just more rooms to be lonely in. More rooms to
1: be lonely in. More rooms to be lonely in.
2: Sometimes a shack with the right one there is called a home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As we come to the end of our time together, do you have a final thought you'd like to share with the audience?
2: I think what I'd like to finally leave the audience with is that the real work is on the inside. Mm. And in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I am a theologian and I do a lot of theology. I write it, I teach it, and I preach it. But what it all comes down to is on the inside of my heart and soul, do I hate anybody? Have I been a hypocrite in my relationships to my family? Am I saying one thing and doing another? And then do I hate anybody? Mm. I'll close with this. You know, preachers have a close. One of my my uh, good friends' name is Johnny Ray Youngblood out of New York. And he was said that when he was a kid, they weren't allowed to use four-letter words. ha <laughs> And he said, if the if the grown folk heard you using four-letter words, they'd wash your mouth out with soap. You know, they'd tell your parents, blah, blah, blah. And he said, but that, out of all the four-letter words, there was a top four letter word that was virtually unutterable without the most extreme consequences. And he said, it has four letters, H-A-T-E. He said, hate, I'm not gonna hate anybody. I'm gonna treat everybody right. I'm gonna be consistent in my behavior. I'm, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to live my life in fear of income, fear of not having income, of fear of losing prestige. I'm going to live authentically.
1: Woo. <laughs> um, if we were in church, I would say, I think it says something there, brother. <laughs> Um, Dr. Thomas, I want to thank you so much for the time. I want to thank you so much for sharing. I want to thank you for just, just making time to give up yourself and sharing with our audience. Thank you so very much. And I wish you all the best going forward.
2: Thank you so much, man. Thank you for this opportunity and God bless your audience. And I pray that some, somebody who heard all this would be encouraged and strengthened in
1: Jesus' name. Appreciate you, Reverend. Thank you, man. All right.
0: Thanks for joining us at The Corporate Minister. We appreciate your spending time with us, and we would love to hear from you. If you have show ideas, prayer concerns, or if you are blessed by what you heard today, please drop us a note at Minister at gmail.com. Again, that's the corporate minister at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next time.